Let's return to Westchester Eye on the Radio with Peter Moses on 1460 WVOX. This is Charlie Stern. You're listening to WVOX 1460 AM, and this is Westchester Eye on the Radio. We're back with Mondaire Jones, who's running for New York Congressional District 17. Mondaire, you, you still with us? Yes, I'm here. Uh, first of all, I'm delighted that you could be here, and, and thank you for hanging in there with us. I hope you can give us a minute or two after 3.30. I think this is an interesting conversation. You know, as I look at this thing from 25,000 feet, I don't actually live in the 17th uh, Congressional District. I, live, I do. I live in 16. How is the world changing, and what are we seeing? What pivot is taking place on this election? Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate the question. Let, let me start by saying this. I am running for Congress because, for me, policy is personal. And, and, and what I mean by that, I grew up in a working-class community of about 30,000 people known to many of your viewers, your listeners, excuse me, as the village of Spring Valley. I was raised by a young single mom who, like so many women all throughout our district and all throughout this country, worked multiple jobs just to be able to provide for our family, even as we relied on Section 8 housing and food stamps. So when we talk about issues like the fight for a $15 minimum wage at the federal level, that is personal for me. And my mom got help raising me for my grandparents. My grandfather was a janitor, and later he was a small business owner. And my grandmother cleaned homes, and when daycare was too expensive, she took me to work with her. And now I'm running to represent the same people whose homes I watched my grandmother clean growing up. And you can imagine that when we have a conversation on the Democratic side about universal child care in this country, which is, ex- which is expensive even for people who have some money, uh, that is a fight in which I am deeply invested based on my own experience and, and having to watch what my grandmother and my, gr- and my mom had to deal with when I was growing up. So I think, you know, t- t- more directly to your question, I think we are at a moment in American history when we have never needed more urgently people in Congress for whom policy is personal. The federal government is not working for the vast majority of American households in our district and in this country. And that is something that needs to change. You know, there's so much talk lately about getting Donald Trump voted out of office. I'm right there with you. We, we've got to vote him out of office. But we've also got to make sure that Donald Trump never gets elected again or someone like him never gets elected again. And guess how that starts? That starts by fighting for the kind of structural changes in our society that are going to improve the lives of everyday people so that they never feel so hopeless that that someone entices them to vote for another Donald Trump who promises to blow up the system. We can't ever allow for that. It's not enough just to go back to the day before Donald Trump was elected if we're serious about long-term solutions to the biggest problems that we have in this country. I am grateful to be building a coalition of people that extends far beyond what I think people might assume I'm able to put together. As someone who is is black and who grew up, you know, poor black and gay, actually, in the village of Spring Valley, uh, to to be in, in wealthy places in this district, like in Irvington, and to have over 100 people there uh, and supporting my message and deeply invested in this campaign, I think that that is defying expectations. I just got endorsed by the Hispanic Democrats of Westchester. As, as you were, I think, about to allude, the Hispanic population comprises 20% of our district. And who would have thought that the guy who started out on Monday, July 8th, running against an incumbent member of Congress 
would go on to get an endorsement from Elizabeth Warren and more recently Ayanna Pressley. Right. So we are defying we are defying expectations every day. I'm grateful to the great people of New York's 17th congressional district who are taking a very hard look at my campaign and my candidacy, and who are saying even if we don't agree with every single policy issue that he's talking about, we want somebody who is authentic, someone who with whom we can relate. And who we trust to always do the right thing. By the way, the do, do you expect do you, do you do you expect uh, Elizabeth to come into your campaign and campaign with you? I know she's very busy. Oh, I don't. I don't expect any. Listen, I have not made that request, and I'm just grateful that somebody of Elizabeth Warren's stature and of Ayanna Presley's stature looked at this race and said, "We need more people like him in Congress. Right. We need more people like him as our colleagues." And so many other people down in Washington, I've got to tell you, are saying the same thing. So let me uh, let me just jump in here a bit because we're throwing around a lot of names like Elizabeth, which is Elizabeth Warren, who's a U.S. Senator running for president, and Ayanna Presley, who's a... I had a brain fart there uh, for a uh, second. That's okay. Ayanna Presley is a uh, member of the House of Representatives. Uh, she's from Massachusetts, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. And uh, and she is also a member of this uh, small cadre of recently elected representatives known as the Squad. And the squad, and, the, and there, there are others, by the way, but the squad are all people who were elected um, by a group of left-leaning Democrats known as Justice Democrats. So, Mondaire, have you received a specific endorsement from Justice Democrats? I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Ayanna Presley was endorsed by the Justice Democrats when she, when she was elected. Um, I, I I would I would want to I would want to confirm that the answer is no. I'm not endorsed by the Justice Democrats. I'm endorsed by a number of different organizations, including Democracy for America, uh, PCCC. It's called the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, um, and a number of local elected officials in Rockland and in Westchester County. And I'm so grateful for that because I do think that there was at the outset of you know as as, as this race got so crowded last fall, I do think that there was this this narrative that there was one person in the race from Westchester who was consolidating <laughs> who was consolidating support, and we know that that's not true. Um, and, of course, Rockland comprises 45% of the district, right. which people often forget but that, as well. That, now, now, that, that being said, Mondio, you represent a whole new wing of the Democratic Party, the young progressive. You represent an entire, a new phenomenon within the Democratic Party, the progressives. And a lot of people, I think moderate Democrats, kind of recoil at some of the progressive agenda. For example, uh, you're talking about, you're talking about, you, you, you're advocating for um, for Medicare for everyone who is eligible, you're advocating to cancel student debt, and you're advocating for free public colleges. Now, there are people who, I would say, who are over the age of 50 who are scratching their heads and thinking, wait a minute, why should people get free public education when I had to work two jobs, I had to take student loans, I made it through through, through college? And also, is there the tendency to overpromise and underdeliver? Because, I mean, these are all great social programs, but how, how does that get paid for? 
Yeah, thank thank you for raising that because it comes up a lot, as you might imagine. And you mentioned a different, a few different programs. So let's just take those in turn. Uh, let Let me start by by saying this. Uh, let's let's do, if you don't mind, let's do the cancellation of student debt. I'm 32 years old. I'll be 33 in May. And I think everyone listening to this is at least aware of the fact that thousands of people my age, despite having college degrees all throughout New York's 17th Congressional District, are still living at home with their parents because they can't afford to be on their own paying rent or buying a home, which we know to be the single biggest generator of wealth in this country. My generation was sold a bill of goods that if we just went to college like our parents did, if they were fortunate enough to have gone to college, that things would just work out for us. And we know that that's not true. We know in part it's due to low wages and a broken economy, wages that have not kept nearly at pace with the cost of living in this country and in this district in Westchester and in Rockland. But if we're honest with ourselves, we also know that it's due to a student debt crisis to the tune of $1.6 trillion at the college level. So today the average person graduating college has about $37,000 in student debt. And approximately three decades ago, it was closer to $10,000. So imagine graduating college with thirty-seven, <coughs> let's $37,000 in student debt at the college level and taking a job that pays $25,000 or $30,000. My goodness, if you have the opportunity, you would absolutely ask your parents or your grandparents to crash at home with them. But that is not sustainable in the long term. So I propose tuition-free public colleges and universities I think we need to start treating our public colleges and universities the same way that we treat K through 12 education, because we know that for the vast majority of good paying jobs, they require college education. Uh, and we need to liberate an entire generation of young people to meaningfully participate in this economy, to own homes in the way that other generations have done. And if we don't, then people are going to end up being wards of the state. And let me tell you, that's going to be so much more costly than looking at how to pay for tuition-free public okay. colleges and universities. Okay, so Mondaire, you, you went to elite schools. How did you afford to do it? You went to Stanford, you went to Harvard Law School. How did you swing it? I did. I was fortunate enough to have had a robust financial aid package from Stanford University. My mother was on disability at the time and, in fact, still is. Uh, and so I got, I got full financial aid from Stanford. But I recognize that the vast majority of people, for whatever reason, can't get into Stanford. And so that's why what I propose is tuition-free public colleges and universities. I'm not saying pay for Harvard or Stanford or any, any place like that. But I do want people not to have to face the difficult decision of getting a increasingly necessary college education in our economy and taking on crippling student debt. You know, it's, it's interesting. In the state of Michigan, uh, University of Michigan, which uh, arguably is a top 30 institution, if you earn less, if your family earns less than $65,000 a year, tuition is free at University of Michigan. <coughs> so tuition, tuition is free, but the cost of providing that education is not free. And, you know, in, in all candor, I'm one of these you know, over 50 people. Uh, I'm in the middle of paying for college education for my kids. And, yes. uh, and this notion of student debt forgiveness, even for public, you know, public and uh, public colleges, uh, it's, it's a little troubling. I mean, I, I guess what I would say is I intellectually understand the concept of it. But I wish there was a way maybe we could make college more affordable uh, by driving down the cost, you know, kind of dealing with the supply side a little bit. Maybe if the colleges weren't swimming in debt, they could have lower tuitions that were more affordable. Why do we have to make it free for all? 
Well, you know what used to happen, and I, 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 I'm from I'm from Westchester, but I went to college in the state of Ohio. I went to a school called Miami University, and when I was in college, the state of Ohio heavily subsidized state universities. Right. And over the decades, now I went to school in the seventies. But it won't. But Peter, it doesn't come from nowhere. Somebody paid for it. The state of Ohio, right but now, now they don't do that. Right. Now, so now you, universities. So, so I guess what people like me are saying is, how do you let, take the, get, the entire cost of public education? Mondaire, go ahead. The answer is, the answer is, as we pay for so many other programs in this country, we ought to be asking the extremely wealthy to pay their fair share. I'm not asking people at the middle class level to have their taxes increase in order to pay for tuition-free public colleges and universities. But if the Michael Bloombergs of the world can afford to spend $400 million on television ads before even making it onto the debate stage, I think it's fair to ask those same people to put up a little bit more so that we can start allowing people to live in dignity in this society. And again, when you don't send people to college, and the economy nearly requires it in order to get a good paying wage, you end up paying for those people down the line anyway. That's whether true. You, whether you see it, whether you want to think about it that way or not, you do. Because they, could, they, because they become increasingly dependent on services from the government. In the same way that if you don't insure people and they have to go to the emergency room, taxpayers end up paying for it anyway. Correct. So let's do it on the front end. Let's make it efficient. Let's do preventative care for people so that it doesn't get to the point where they need really expensive, life-saving treatment. And let's also, respectfully, let's also start thinking about other people. Just because we have to do something doesn't mean that we shouldn't want other people not to have to go through a terrible situation like what we have to do. So the answer is billionaire tax. Which... Did you really think that that's something that's going to happen, Mondar? I think that in 1980, the marginal tax rate for people who were making in excess of $10 million on an annual basis was literally twice the marginal rate that it is today. So I'm not saying that it necessarily has to be a wealth tax, but I am saying that there was a time in American history, and in fact most of our American history, when we asked people who are extremely wealthy those extremely high income earners to pay much more than they're currently paying. And we did it without hurting the middle class, without hurting the upper middle class even. And respectfully, we did it without hurting the extremely wealthy because they can afford to pay for it. You know, there is this concept called diminishing marginal utility. And for someone who's making $30,000 to pay an extra $1,000 uh, is, is a lot more harmful than, the, than the, someone who's worth $50 billion to pay an extra billion dollars even. <laughs> no question, so, but, but our, 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 our country is more stratified now than it was in 1980. Right, and, uh, and the other thing I would you know, say is, I, I, again, intellectually, I hear those arguments, and, and uh, you know, I took Econ 101 also, but you're going to have to get this through a Republican Congress. Maybe. I hope not. Maybe. <laughs> And, and, and you know, to, 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 to that point, I, I also want want to go back to the um, to the uh, healthcare for all. Argina, think... you got to pick your spots earlier in the quarter hour <laughs> because once again we're up against the deadline here. But when we come back, if if Mondaire is willing to stay with us, and it sounds like he is, yes. um, we're yes. going to let Ardina ask her question straight up. W-V-O-X. 
Let's return to Westchester Eye on the Radio with Peter Moses on 1460 WVOX. All right, this is our final quarter of hour, and I'm joined by Charles Stern and by Ardina Seward, although Ardina's calling in from home. And our guest today is Mondaire Jones, who is running for Congress to replace uh, Nita Lowy, who's been in that seat since 1989. Uh, Ardina, you wanted to ask a question. Let's get right to you. I want, I want to get back to the issue of, of universal health care, and forgive me if I've, if I've uh, mis- miscalled it, but you're advocating for medical coverage for everybody. Now, as in last year, Mayor de Blasio has allocated $100 million for health care for undocumented that money has to come from somewhere. Does that, do programs like de Blasio's somehow dilute your efforts to provide free medical coverage for people in your constituents, for your constituents? No, I don't think so. And, and full disclosure, I'm not familiar with the program you just described for, for uh, Mayor de Blasio. I will, I will tell you, I'm a, I'm a proponent of a single-payer system. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'd just like to briefly explain what I mean by that, because I do know that people have a variety of Medicare programs they're describing as Medicare for all. And, of course, I was part of the Obama administration when we couldn't even get a public option passed, right? So uh, it is, it, I'm under no illusion that something like a single-payer Medicare for all system can happen overnight. Uh, so many people in Congress have already said that they are unwilling to support it on the Democratic side. But I'm grateful for the discussion, if nothing else, because it shifted what's called the Overton window, right? So now people who would never have voted for a public option, which I, which you know, I am the first to say, yeah, it would be a, it would be a dramatic improvement upon the status quo, those people are now saying, okay, I'll vote for a public option, but I'll still never do single payer. And so we've shifted the discussion. I'm grateful for that. Under a single payer system, uh, you would your coverage would expand to include mental and vision, mental health care services, um, vision, dental, long term care. Uh, your annual cost of prescription drugs would be capped at two hundred dollars. Right now, people are working well past the age of retirement, like my grandmother had to do, just to pay for the high cost of prescription drugs and medical procedures that are not covered under Medicare. And it would be a cost savings. It would be cheaper for 95% of Americans, 95% of Americans, and you would get to keep your doctor because there would no longer be a distinction between in-network and out-of-network. So for me, I'm a proponent of that. I think that in a nation as wealthier as, as our own, we spend so much money on various things, including some things we should – like I don't think the defense budget, for example, should be as large as it is. Uh, and so why don't we start to, to ensure people so that uh, everybody can get necessary medical care in an extremely rich country like our own? And we can do that by, by saving this country money because we are spending so much money on health care on, on an annual basis. It just keeps going up. So, Mondaire, unsustainable. Mondaire, you have a bunch of opponents in this race. I guess it's depending on who you ask. It's a nine-way race or a 10-way race or an 11-way race. You've got a lot of people. And almost without exception, they're all supporting some flavor of of, um, Medicare for all. What? Where's the gap? Where? Where? So you can uh, so that everyone listening in the the 5.9 million people in the WVOX radius 
what is Mondaire's, Mondaire Jones' unique proposition with respect to Medicare for all? What's different about your healthcare proposal versus the others? Uh, well, I'll start by saying this. I was the first person in this race to call for, and I'm grateful that Nita Lowy has been supporting it since 2017, so that's not a change but what's in terms different? of the representation what's that different? we have. But I can tell you that there are other people in this race who are saying uh, we should have a public option but not a single-payer system. Okay. What I say to that is, yeah, a public option would be great. I'll vote for a public option if that's the best we can do, but I'm going to be fighting for a single-payer system. Okay. And, and just only, to be clear, just to be clear, because not everybody that. knows, it's a mm-hmm. complicated topic, and not everybody knows. This is a little bit of education here. Single payer means what? It means every doctor, every hospital, every optometrist, everybody in the entire healthcare world would start working for the United States government, and all your medical bills would be paid to that entity. Correct. Uh, for necessary medical care, yes, of course. You know, there for you know, if you want to get cosmetic surgery or something like that, then that wouldn't be covered. But yes, for necessary medical care for all intents and purposes, yes, that's true. Well, I, I can tell. You, I can tell you. I um, I go to Canada every year. For the past six or seven years, I go to Montreal, and I have good. I've made good, solid friendships up in Montreal, and they have what you just described in Canada. And from what I can tell, it's a mess. It can take many, many months to go see a doctor. The doctors never get to know the patients because they can only see them at best two or three times a year. And when they want to have certain kind of surgical procedures, instead of waiting 18 months to get under the knife, they bite the bullet and come to the United States. They go into New York State or Vermont to get the surgery. Yeah, done. yeah. But you know what's interesting, Peter? What Mondaire is talking so about, bad, we weren't talking about there, a couple right? years I mean, ago. It, it must be much cheaper. It, it is cheaper up in Canada, absolutely. But it, it, but, okay. but, oh, but so is the medical coverage. It's cheaper. You're not. You don't get. I mean, I I only go see my GP like once a year. My wife's not very happy about that. I should go at least twice, but I have no problem getting an appointment with this guy. You know, up up in Canada. Don't you think it's a, go don't ahead, Mike. Think it's a shame. Don't you think it's a shame that you have to go to another country to get healthcare? No, 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 no. You're, you've got this backwards. People in Canada are coming to the U.S to get health care, not Americans oh, okay. going to Montreal. It's the complete opposite of that. I mean, they Sorry, have some... I thought, I thought you were saying you go No, 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 absolutely not. No, I have, I have friends, and when they want to get complicated surgeries, they go to New York City from Montreal. And, and so there, there are problems with, with universal coverage uh, beyond the costs. Now, I, I, I do agree that we need a much better system than what we have right oh, now. Oh, yeah, for, the, for sure. And there are tremendous, tremendous problems with the system we have right now. And I think it's just, it's very interesting that these conversations are taking place at the level that they are, that they're so, the, all the campaigns are centered on it right now. Uh, and that but none, have of, but none of them, none of the people running for president have what I consider to be anything near a workable plan. It's all pie-in-the-sky thoughts. And, and Mondaire, I don't mean to be disrespectful to you, but the idea that you are floating about the billionaires paying their fair share, I wish that was the case. But that, that is, and, you're, and you were right before when you said it's not going to happen overnight. 
Right. Uh, I, I do hope, though, in the world that we live in, and especially in this country, that things change in the next 10 or 12 years so that people are more open to the plight of others, because that doesn't seem to be what's going on here now. Now, in our in our two minutes that we have left, um, what do you bring to the table that's different than your than your chief opponents? I mean, you, you have I'm someone not- running in Rockland County who has the block... Uh, vote of the Hussids. That's that's a hard that's a hard number for anyone to overcome. There's either twenty or thirty thousand people who are going to be voting for Carlucci, no matter what he says no. and does. No, that's. I mean, it's it's that, that it's the number is not that high. And in, in 2018, uh, the Hasidic community came out for Carlucci in the number of three thousand when he was going up against a primary challenge, Julie Goldberg. Uh, in, in in 2019, in the DA's race, which they care a lot about, uh, they did six thousand. So it's not nearly as high as that. But here's the thing. Westchester is 55 percent of the district. It is it is you know, this is this is a district where I'm going to get support in both Rockland and in Westchester counties. And I'm the only person in this race that's going to be able to do that. You ask me what I'm bringing to this race beyond that, though. It's an understanding of what it's like to live to be an everyday person struggling just to get by, knowing that the federal government could be doing so much more and that this economy is not is rigged uh, against everyday middle-class folks and that we need more people in Congress who are going to be remembering the people who got them in that position in the first place, who are going to be visible, who are going to pick up the phone and answer those calls, who are not taking corporate PAC money, which I'm one of just a few people who made a pledge not to do. And I've still raised the most in individual contributions of anybody running. That's impressive. In the race. That's, that's, is, very, that's, that's very, very, that's very that's impressive, impressive. Mondaire. Yeah. <coughs> thank you. So, thank you very much for appearing on our rare Mondaire. Um, when we get closer to uh, to the vote, uh, to the primary in, in June, maybe we'll try to bring a few of you on to have a, a debate uh, here on WVOX because there's scant ability for you to go up against your opponents uh, live face-to-face. Uh, but who do we have on for next week, Charles? So next week we're, we're scheduled to have Asha Castleberry Hernandez, who is also uh, amongst this large group of people running for New York 17. Interesting. So, uh, Mondaire, thank you for coming on here. I know that as a candidate, you must have a million places to be every day, knocking on doors and union halls and all kinds of places, but you chose to spend a few minutes with us. So I, I want to say... He spent the whole hour with yeah, us. Yeah, and We're I very appreciative. I, I really appreciate that, Thank Mondaire. you, and, and, and thank you so much. And go to mondaireforcongress.com, M-O-N-D-A-I-R-E, for congress.com to find out more. Thanks on so that note, everybody, have a great week. See you next week. AM 1460, WVOX, and WVIP HD2, New Rochelle.